I'd like to have us uh, at this time turn to our text uh, this morning, which is Revelation chapter 4. And speaking of singing a song of praise, that's exactly what we're going to be looking at for our text this morning, is a few of the songs of praise uh, to God in this book in Revelation. Um, Peter actually preached on this, uh, this chapter a couple of weeks ago, um, but we've been living in Revelation so much recently here as a congregation that as I was thinking about what to preach on this morning, my mind kept going back uh, to the songs of praise that we find in Revelation, specifically those here in chapter 4. And so I'm going to read the whole chapter, but we're really focusing um, mainly on the hymns uh, towards the end of the chapter. So Revelation chapter 4, and this is what it says. After this, I, John, looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald and circled the throne. And surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. And in the center, around the throne, were four living creatures. And they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sisters and brothers in Jesus Christ, uh, there's a video of an elderly woman uh, that's been making the rounds on the internet the last couple of weeks. The star of the video, Marta Cinta Gonzalez Saldana, was a former ballerina who led her own ballet company in New York City in the 1960s. For the last couple of years, until her recent death about a year ago in 2019, though, she was in a memory care unit in Spain, struggling with dementia and Alzheimer's. In the video, though, a care worker at the facility gently slips a pair of headphones onto her ears and starts playing Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake. Almost instantly, Saldana again becomes the ballerina she once was, dancing through the famous routine in her wheelchair. Her arms straighten, her hands start to flutter, and her eyes burn with the intensity of a performer who knows that she is once again commanding the stage. She goes through the choreography right there in her wheelchair that somehow is still embedded deep within her. 
That's the power of music. Researchers have long known this, but music is one of the last things that dementia patients forget, and so it has the incredible ability to help people dealing with memory loss recall things from their past. Before she heard that song, Marta was just an old woman in a wheelchair. But once the music started, she was a professional ballet dancer once more. She couldn't help but respond to the song. In a way, our relationship with God as Christians is kind of similar. One of my seminary professors used to say that talking about the gospel is all well and good, but at some point, you have to stop speaking and just start singing. His point was that, like Marta's response to Swan Lake, once the power of the gospel hits you, really hits you, once you really understand it, you can't help but react. Once you experience the goodness, mercy, and grace of God, really experience it, really know it, you can't help but respond. That's something that's impressed me of our study of Revelation so far this fall. If you're joining us as a guest this morning or you haven't been regularly worshiping with us, we've been making our way through the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, for the last couple of months. We've been preaching through it here in our worship services, studying it in our life groups, and reading it together as a church congregation. And that's a first uh, for me, by the way. Before this series, I'd never really studied Revelation all that in-depth. I've read it a few times, even preached on bits and pieces of it here and there. Uh, But like I think many of us, I've always found it to be a strange, sort of mysterious book, more confusing than helpful and difficult to understand, and so I'd never really given it much time or thought. As a result, then, this study has been eye-opening for me. I feel like I'm understanding the book of Revelation for the first time, grasping more of what the author, St. John, was trying to do and communicate. It confuses me less, and instead I've found this book awe-inspiring, challenging, encouraging, and convicting, often all at the same time. Put it simply, there's a lot about Revelation that's really been impressing me in this study. One of the things that's impressed me, though, is just how much worship there is in this book. How much praise, how much adoration and singing we see in these pages in response to God and what he's done. Put simply, Revelation reverberates with worship for God. You see, by my count, there are over ten different times when the heavenly hosts of living creatures, elders, angels, and saints burst into song throughout this book, praising and worshiping God for his might, his power, his wisdom, and his deeds of salvation. And the first two of those songs are actually here in this text. In verse 8 of this chapter, we read that the four living creatures in the heavenly throne room continually sing out day and night, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And then just a few verses later in verse 11, the elders seated around God's throne cast down their crowns before him and praise him saying, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. And the worship goes on from there. In chapter 5, Jesus Christ, the Lamb, is worshipped as the one worthy to enact God's plan for salvation and move his redemptive mission forward. 
Then once that's accomplished in chapter 7, the great multitude of the redeemed from every nation, tribe, people, and language praise both God and the Lamb for the salvation that they've made possible for them. Throughout chapters 11 through 18, God is praised for his just judgments against a fallen and sinful world. And then finally in chapter 19, God is praised for fully and completely renewing his creation and bringing his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, Revelation is filled throughout with the worship of God. And he is declared worthy of that worship because of who he is and what he has done as creator, sustainer, redeemer, and king. That's how the praise equation in this book works. God has done great things. Those great things express his love and care for us as his people. And so in response, we are called to worship, praise, and thank him. In fact, that equation of God's action leading to our praise is clear even in the word we use as a name for this holiday. Thanksgiving. At least in the original Greek, that is. Because the word that we translate thanksgiving is eucharisteo. I've talked about this before in previous sermons, but it bears repeating. Eucharisteo is a compound word in Greek. It's made up of other words put together and blended in their meaning to refer to something new. So just like the word doghouse is made up of the words dog and house in order to refer to something else, not a house or a dog, but a house specifically for a dog. In the same way, Eucharisteo is made up of the Greek words you and charis. Eucharisteo. The first part, the prefix you, simply means joy. And that main word in the middle there, charis, means grace. So if you put it all together, you get the same praise equation that we see in Revelation. God's charis, His grace, His blessings, they lead to you, joy, in our lives, which then causes us to respond in Eucharisteo. Thanksgiving, worship, and praise. But even though it's a holiday service, uh, the sermon can't quite be this short. So let's dig into that a bit more. Because as nice and tidy as that might sound, God's grace leads to our joy, and then we respond in thanksgiving and worship. There's more to that than we might immediately see on the surface. At least for us as Christians, these concepts of grace and joy and thanksgiving are deeper and broader than we might typically think of them. They're richer and more nuanced. They're more like the worship that we find in Revelation because they're multi-layered. So let's start with grace. God's grace is is simply the catch-all term for all his unmerited, undeserved, unearned blessings, mercy, and gifts to us. They're the big things that we often recognize as his grace, things like the hoped-for job, the long-awaited child, or the conversion of a dear friend to our faith, but they're also all the little things that we too often ignore, forget about, and even fail to notice. For instance, God's grace is the sunrise of every new day, whether we're able to see it through the clouds or not. It's there in each breath we take, each meal we share, each article of clothing that we find hanging in our closets. It's in the homes we live in, and the hobbies we enjoy, and the machines, appliances, and technology that make our lives simpler, they too are God's grace to us. 
our relationships, families, and friendships, our knowledge, experience, and wisdom, our love, peace, and happiness, all the other things that we saw listed in that video just a few minutes ago. That's God's grace to us. They're His gifts to us. And they're gifts in addition to all the other ones that we can't count or list, that we have in season and out, no matter our circumstances, all the time. That might be hard to remember sometimes. It might be especially hard right now. After all, this past year has taken much from us. So much of what we're used to, so much of what we enjoy, so much of what makes us comfortable or what we simply take for granted has been stripped away. Between the pandemic, the election, unrest in our city, and even a recent series of shootings that have hit too close to home, we've lost so much of our sense of safety, security, and stability. And yet what we need to see, really every day, but especially this day, on this holiday, is that God's grace never stops. His gifts won't always be the big ones that sort of smack us in the face and make themselves impossible to miss. But the fact is that every day, God combines a thousand gifts to make up His grace to us. And that, my friends, should lead to our joy. You know, joy is not the same thing as happiness. We often use those two words as synonyms for each other. But they're actually not the same. They don't mean the same thing. That's because happiness is a feeling. It's an emotion. And so like all our other emotions, it's dependent on our circumstances. If my circumstances are good, if things are going my way, then I'm going to be happy. That's the way I'm going to feel. That's the emotion that I'm going to have. But if things aren't good, if they aren't going right, then that's not the emotion I'm going to have. I'm not going to feel happy. I'm not going to be happy. But joy is different. Joy, unlike happiness, isn't an emotion. Instead, it's, it's a state of being. And as a state of being, it's not dependent on our circumstances the way happiness is. Instead, joy is based on something else. Something firmer stronger and more stable. And at least for us as Christians, our joy is based on the Lord. This is why Christians have long believed that you can still experience joy even when your circumstances are not good. Even when things are difficult. Everything around you might be in flux, up in the air, all messed up, but God is not. And that's the foundation of our joy as Christian believers. While our circumstances might change, God does not. And neither does His grace to us. And so joy for the Christian is still possible. Joy for the Christian is always possible. That joy, then, is what leads to our thanksgiving. At a basic level, our thankfulness, our gratitude to God, is an act of worship. It's a joyful response to His ongoing, uninterrupted grace in our lives. Big and small, special and ordinary, once in a lifetime or every day, God's grace fills our lives. His love and care for us doesn't change. So as a result, our joy in Him is always possible. 
operating in the background and informing our relationship with him. But every once in a while, like an aged ballerina summoning movements long forgotten at the sound of a song, our joy swells within us and we can't help but raise our voices with the heavenly host to sing our thanks and praise to God. And that's what this holiday reminds us of. It's about recognizing the grace of our God, allowing our joy to take over, and responding to Him in gratitude and adoration. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Eucharisteo. God's grace leads to our joy, which then in turn prompts our worship and thanksgiving back to Him. While we are thankful for many things on this day, there is one thing that stands head and shoulders above all others, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, we don't really deserve all that care and attention that God gives us. We don't deserve His gifts. We don't deserve His grace to us. In fact, the truth is that we've actually done everything possible not to deserve it. Because of our sin, we've driven a wedge into our relationship with God. We've ruined His creation. We've even ruined ourselves along the way. And yet God gives us His grace still. In spite of our sin, in spite of our brokenness, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to take the punishment we deserve die the death we were sentenced to, wipe away the sins we'd committed, and give us the forgiveness and new life that we can earn for ourselves. There are many graces that we experience from God that are ordinary and everyday. There are some that are special and more rare. And then there is that one. The grace of Jesus Christ that has saved sanctified and transformed us as the very people of God. And it's that grace, my friends, that leads to our unending joy as well as our thanksgiving, worship, and praise to our God this day and always. Thanks be to Him indeed. Amen. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for your grace, your daily blessings and gifts to us. But we thank you most of all for your greatest grace, for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the joy that is always possible in him. And as we reflect on all the gifts that you give us today, Lord, may we indeed be people who respond in worship praise, and thanksgiving to all that you have done. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.